0: Hebrews chapter 6, we're going to pick up where we left off. Verse 9, here we go. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not so unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you showed for his sake in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. That enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Father, I thank you for the hope that you have given us in Jesus. I thank you, Father, for the riches and the blessing and the the fulfilled promises, God, that we can be completely certain are coming our way. Father, I pray that you would teach us to be fully assured, that you would teach us to be um, hopeful in all the the storms and the difficulties and struggles of life. Father, thank you for hope. Please uh, cultivate that in me, in us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I am a little bit sorry uh, for two weeks ago. Uh, Notice I said a little bit. I'm a little bit sorry for two weeks ago that it was a hard passage. Uh, I told you when we began, uh, the beginning of chapter 6, Last week that this is a tough passage. It, it was a passage. If You, you probably don't remember. You know, I assume that everybody remembers two weeks ago. Uh, you don't remember. Anyway, um, th- that, that passage was about uh, the fact that there are people who, who profess Christ. They profess to know Jesus. Um, they profess to, to have Christ in their life, but because, you know, they don't have fruit, they don't have maturity, they're not growing, uh, they're not moved on to the meat. Uh, they've not, they're not genuine. You know, there, there's many times where they're deceived about that profession. And there are people who think that they're in Christ, but aren't really in Christ. And that's a tough thing to talk about. It's a scary thing to talk about. And then even worse than that, um, two weeks ago, if you remember, we talked about this, this whole phrase, um, it's impossible to restore again repentance those who have. And, and then, then, then we discuss those who, who fall away, who, who have a full kind of view, front seat view to the revelation of the gospel and to the, to the miracles and to the, to the, the, the goodness of God. And, and at some point just continue to turn away, turn away, push it away, push it away, go back into their old life. And, and, and it talked about hardening your heart. Remember we looked at Pharaoh. Uh, we looked at blasphemy of the Holy Spirit where you can harden your heart to the point where you can't repent. Those are, those are scary things to, to think about, to talk about, and, and uh, the report that I got uh, uh, two weeks ago was that, man, there were some small groups that, you know, it was, it was an intense conversation, you know, people really grappling about, you know, hey, I want to I really know, am I saved, am I truly saved, am I genuinely saved, do I have these marks in my life? And so I say I'm a little sorry because I hate to, you know, cause angst and, and difficulty, but I'm not a lot sorry because I think that's the purpose of this passage. I think Hebrews chapter 6, those first nine verses are are, 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 are verses that are meant to make red flags go up if, if there are red flags that are needed in your life. They're verses that are meant to to kind of awaken you to the fact that maybe you're not where you need to be and maybe you need to move and, and get, get to where you need to be or maybe, maybe you don't have what you thought you had. And, and those are life and death and eternal issues. And so. I'm thankful for the writer of Hebrews. I'm thankful that we had two weeks ago uh, to talk about that hard passage. However, I want to do exactly what this guy does, okay? So after he speaks eight verses of really hard stuff, you know what he does in verse 9? He comforts and encourages the the, the saints, okay? So so that's what he does in verse 9. He says, though we speak in this way... Yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation, okay? And so what he comes back to in verse 9 is, you know, I had to say this hard thing to you because I was afraid many of you are turning back, you're, you're, you're turning away from the Lord, and, and so I had to speak a hard thing. But what I want you to see is that we see good things in you, and here, here's the kind of the theme of this passage is a theme of hope. Okay. A theme of full assurance of hope. And here's what I want to tell you. God's plan is not for you to, to live in a state of doubt. Okay. His plan is not for you to live in a state of, I'm not sure if I'm really saved. I'm not sure if I really have Christ. That is not God's plan at all for you. God, God does not want uncertainty for you. He does not want doubt for you. He does not want you to live your life. Just kind of, kind of you know, I, I I wish that I would make it in, but I'm not sure that I'm going to. That is not at all God's plan. God does not want you to be one of those people that prays the Sinner's Prayer three thousand four hundred ninety three times in your life. You know, and, and still you come away from that not being absolutely certain whether you have Christ. That is not at all God's plan. In fact, the Scripture is very clear that God wants you to have a full assurance. Notice this phrase in verse eleven: the full assurance of hope until the end. That's what He wants for them. He wants wants them to have this rock-solid conviction that what stretches out in front of them all the way into the billions of years of eternity is nothing but the awesome riches of Jesus Christ. He wants them to be like Paul, who when he faced death in Philippians chapter 1, was able to say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He wants them to be like Peter, who was able to say, I know that, that what is is stored up for me in the heavens, is an inheritance that's imperishable and undefiled and unfading. He wants us to have that full assurance of hope, okay? So we're going to work through how to have that, why that's important, what hope is this morning in the message. Now, I want to start you out in verse 9 and 10, talking about the marks of salvation, okay? So in chapter 6, we saw some marks that maybe you don't have what you, you think you have. And now in verses 9 through, through 20, we see some marks that, yes, you this is a good sign in your life that Christ is indeed living inside of you. And what, what exactly is that mark? Well, by the way, there's several of these, okay? They're not in this passage. But if you look in 1 John, the, the, the five chapters of 1 John will give you three or four kind of marks or evidences that Christ is indeed working in your life, okay? But the one that Hebrews gives us, I believe, is the overarching. It's, it's the biggie. Okay? It's the big kind of telltale sign that Christ is indeed at work in you, that you're saved, that you're connected to Him. And that mark is a genuine love for other believers that results in practical service for the sake of Jesus. Okay? I know that was a mouthful, but look at verse 10. For God is not so unjust to overlook your, notice what He says here, your work and the love that you showed for His sake. in serving the saints as you still do, okay? Several things about that. First of all, it, it, is, a, it is a love for the saints, and, and it's not the kind of love that says, you know, I feel really, really squishy about you, okay? Uh, that, it's not that kind of love, okay? It's not the kind of love that says, man, I just feel warm and fuzzy about my church family. You know, I, I get to see them for 10 minutes every week, and whenever I do, my toes tingle, you know? It, it's not that kind of love. It's the kind of love, notice what this says, the love that you showed for his sake in serving the saints, Serving them. Okay? so so this is a kind of love this is a biblical love that's very practical it, it's a kind of love that says man i see you have a need I see you have a hurt I see you have a burden i see you have a struggle i i, I see you i see you can use encouragement or prayer and i want to meet that need I, I want to engage in your life okay it's that kind of love and it's a kind of it's a kind of service for the sake of of Jesus okay it, it, it's it's not it's not just wanting to do the right thing it's not just well you know what this makes me look good or I don't want to look bad or i feel guilty, or I feel obligated. This is, I love Jesus. I admire Jesus. I, I want to imitate Jesus. I'm impressed with Jesus. I delight in Jesus. And the way that that comes out of me is wanting to minister to his people, wanting, wanting to obey him and follow him and respond to him and do what he says. And, and what that results and what that looks like is practical service to his people. Okay, that, that, That's a telltale sign of salvation. In fact, when you look at the judgment day, okay? So if we go to Matthew 25, we see the, the final judgment, okay? This is the biggie, all right? And God separates believers from unbelievers sheep from goats and, and then this is what he says to those who, who are who are his who belong to him he says in verse 34 of Matthew 25 the king will say to those on his right come you who are blessed by my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world for I was hungry what happened you gave me food I was thirsty you gave me drink I was a stranger you welcomed me I was naked you clothed me I was sick you visited me I was in prison you came to me and then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we do all those things? When, when do we feed you, give you a drink, visit you, uh, clothe you, all those things? In verse 40, the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. All right, so Jesus backs that up in, in saying, whenever we love him and, and, and we're delighted in him and we trust him and want to follow him, and that results in practical need-meeting service and love to other people, we're doing it for him. What is did it to him? Okay, and he recognizes that as love for him. And so, and so the mark of these believers. So this, this writer of Hebrews, he's, he's looking at these guys and he's saying, man, here's what I see in your life. I see a practical need-based servant leadership love for other believers. And that, that encourages me of good things, good things in your life. And notice it's still going on, okay? This is not a one-time deal. This is not, you know, I put in my time. I went on that mission trip three years ago, you know? No, 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 no. Notice what he says in the end of verse 10. As you still do, okay? So this is a continuing thing in their life. They're loving each other well. And as I said, this is not just in Hebrews. If you go over to 1 John... First John says, whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there's no cause for stumbling. Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. All right, so he says, if, if you're loving your brother in your light, you're in the light. If you're, if you're not loving your brother, you're in the darkness. And again, what does First John mean by love? What does he mean, tingly feelings? no. If you go to the next chapter, 1 John 3, 16, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart to him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And so the the writer of of Hebrews sees this in them. He sees that you love Jesus, and that results in loving his people. Remember what he said to Peter? Remember what Jesus said to Peter? After the resurrection, he came back. Peter's blown and he's failed. And and, and Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, absolutely, God. I love you, Jesus. And what does he say? Feed my sheep. Then he asked him a second time, do you love me? He says, yes. What, What does Jesus say? Feed my lambs. He asked him a third time, do you love me? Peter's getting frustrated, you know. God, you know I do. You know I do. He's all right, female. what 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 is Jesus emphasizing to him, Peter? Your love for me is going to be seen in practical, need based kindness service to other believers. That's how it's going to come out. Okay. And so the writer of Hebrews is is is, is talking to these folks. And he said, "Man, I see that in you. I, I, I see signs of better things. I see I I see the evidence of." Of, of Christ in your lives. And therefore, I want you to work real hard. Verse 11, I want you to work real hard. I want you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope, okay? So what he wants for these guys is he wants to have them to have a full assurance of hope all the way to the end. Now, let's talk about that. What, first of all, is hope? Okay. Well, if you've been here with me for however many years, you, you'll notice that every time I talk about hope, I pretty much use the same definition and it just it really it, it resonates with me. But the one that I use is uh, hope is uh, a confident expectation of good things to come. A confident expectation of good things to come. That, that, that's what it means to be filled with hope. Okay? Uh, it, it, here's the way I think of it. It means that you you are convinced there there is a there is a truck full of of blessing and 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 glory and and the promises of God, the fulfillment of those promises. There's a truck full of that, and it's heading this way. Okay? It's coming, it's on the way. You know, we're looking for it. I'm eagerly expecting it. I, I, I'm saying, honey, it might come today. You know, yeah, I, mean, I mean, the blessings of God, the riches of God, the promises of God, they're going to be fulfilled. They're going to happen in my life. And it's coming this way. I'm expecting it. I'm anticipating it. I'm joy filled over it. Now, John Piper in, in a sermon on hope. I, I love this. I love it. I love it. It really blessed me yesterday. Uh, was, it was encouraging to my heart. He said this about hope. He said, hope is a reservoir of emotional strength. Hope is a reservoir of emotional strength. Now, what, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that is hope gives you the ability to do something hard, okay, and, and, and keep doing it. Hope gives you the ability to endure a hard thing, to, to say no to something you, you need to say no to, to say yes to something you need to say yes to that's going to be really hard. It's, it's kind of like a, you got this tank full of hope, you know. And, 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 and because you have it, because you know it's coming, because you know the truck is coming, you're able to do some hard things, okay? So so you're living your Christian life and you're trusting Jesus and you're following Him. Man, things get tough. Ever happen? Ever happen to anybody? Things get tough, you know, and things begin to unravel and they're disappointing and, 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 and the rug's pulled out from under you and man, you're discouraged, okay? What keeps you stable during that time? What keeps you full of joy? What keeps you looking to Christ? What keeps you from giving up? What keeps you going forward? What keeps you... It's hope, okay? It's this confident expectation that... God's going to do something. He's going to do something in me. He's going to fulfill his promise. He won't let me down. He's going to send his word. He's going to send his power. He's going to send his spirit. It's on its way. Good days are coming. Okay? So there's this hope that, that keeps us from quitting, from giving up, from drifting away, from thinking, man, it's not worth it. It's too hard. God's forgotten me. It's no use. No, man. It keeps us from despairing. You ever despair? Anybody? Nobody? Awesome. I'll say this for my benefit. Psalm 42. Okay. Here, here's the psalmist. He says, he's, and he's not talking to anybody but himself. Okay. Sometimes it's okay to talk to yourself. Okay. People think it's a little crazy, but uh, it's, you should do it. You should preach to yourself. Okay. Verse 5. Why are you cast down? Oh, my soul. He's talking to his own soul. He's saying, why are you, he's, he's down, he's discouraged, he's despairing. He says, why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil? You know what turmoil is, right? That's when everything inside of you is just going crazy because you're, 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 you're sad, you're, you're overwhelmed, you're, you're discouraged, you're in a storm, okay? Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Where does he go from there? Hope in God. Right there. Hoping God. He's preaching to himself. Hoping God. For I shall again praise him. My salvation of oh my God. What is he saying? There are good days ahead. The truck is coming. The, 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 the blessings are coming. The riches are coming. God's faithful to his promises. He won't let me down. He's going to work. And that hope keeps him stable. Keeps him going. Verse 19. Got any boaters in here? Any... Uh... Sail boaters, fishing boaters. Nobody wants to. Nobody wants to say, do you? Because you know what's going to happen. You're going to be like, "Oh, they want to borrow my boat." You know. It is so much better to have a friend with a boat than actually have a boat. You know. I mean, it just really is. But so what that means is, if you guys want to be my friend, you'll get a nice boat and let me use it. Okay. Uh but okay. I'm not. I don't have a boat either. But um. But this, this is a, a boat imagery. Look at verse 19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place beyond the curtain. Now, now you know what an anchor does? It holds you steady, Right? You, you, you sink that baby in the ground and it holds your boat, okay? So you're not drifting. You're not going to run into the rocks. You're not going to run into the shore. You're not going to run into the reef. I mean, it, it holds you steady, okay? And so what does hope do? Hope holds you steady, okay? When everything's falling apart and when when, when there's discouragements, and man, you, you thought things were going to go right and they just fell apart and it's a disaster, okay? What hope does is, is it anchors you and holds you tight. You know why? Because you, you know Good things are coming. God won't let me down. He's going to work. I got to trust him. The truck's coming in. Okay. Now, question. I think it's a good one. What's the difference between this kind of hope and the hope that the world talks about? Because the world talks about hope, right? You know? I hope I win the Olympics. I hope I get a sports car. Um, you know, I hope she marries me. I hope, you know, Daniel's saying that. Uh, I hope, you know, this, that, that, Okay. What is the difference? Well, the the difference basically is what what is what is the basis of your hope, okay? So, um, you know, let let's just let's just say that um let's say that Gracie says, I want to grow up and be a I no, let's say Gracie says, I I'm gonna grow up and I hope to be a millionaire, okay. I hope to be a millionaire. Okay, so what is Gracie's hope built on? Okay, well, her hope is either built on, you know, her mom and dad getting a whole lot of money and then giving it to her, okay? All right, that could be. Uh, it could be built on she's going to work really hard and she's going to have some kind of marketable skill that people really want and she's going to make lots of money, okay? Or her hope could be built on she's got a business idea and she, she, her hope is based on the fact that she's going to build her business and she's going to get a, a, a slice of the market that, uh, that nobody else has, and, the, and that no other competition will come in her, or her hope's built on that the economy will, will go a certain way, and then it will stay that long enough for her to make that, that amount of money. And uh, it, what, what I'm telling you is, her hope is built on a whole lot of stuff that she can't actually control. They might happen. I hope it does, Gracie. If it does, remember the little people, okay? Uh, I hope it happens. She hopes it happens, but really, we can't control the economy. We don't know about her skills. We don't know about the competition in the market. We don't know. There's just all of those things that really, they may come together. They may not come together. We don't know. It's not built on anything solid, okay? Now, the the, the incredible difference between that and and, and the biblical view of hope is the biblical view is grounded in rock-solid, granite certainty, okay? Okay, unmovable certainty, because it is grounded in the everlasting promises of God. All right, now now the Christian life runs on the promises of God. All right, that's what God does in the scriptures. He initiates. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, basically what God does in the scriptures, he says, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to send Jesus. He's going to die for your sins. You know, come to me. I'll give you rest. Come to me, I'll do this for you. I'll do this for you. I'll save you. I'll forgive you. I'll redeem you. I'll justify you. I'll glorify you. I'll put my spirit inside of you. I'll help you. I'll protect you. I'll care for you. I'll provide for you. I'll uphold you. I'll encourage you. I'll empower you. I mean, that's God, right? He just, he lays it all out. I will do these things for you. Okay? Now, the Christian life runs on us believing those promises. Us lining up with God. Anything other than faith is offensive to God. Okay, so if I look at those promises, and I'm like, eh, I don't think so. Uh, maybe, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go after them. All right, you're not a believer. Okay, a believer sees the work of God, the promises of God, the character of God, and says, "Man, I trust you. I want you. I'm in. I want to follow you. I'm going to do whatever you say because I believe you will. You will make good upon your word." Okay. Now, now here's what, here's what Hebrews 6 tells us, all right? God has made these promises, and then God has, has encouraged us that, that it is impossible for Him to do anything other than what He says. Notice um, verse 18. So there by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. God cannot, first of all, God cannot be wrong, okay? He cannot be wrong. Whatever God speaks is reality. Isn't that awesome? Uh, Creation. Man, when you look at the creation account, the creation account actually has ramifications all through the scriptures, you know? Because how does the Bible say that God created the world? He speaks it into existence, all right? You see, and that theme is carried all through the scriptures, all right? Whatever God says is reality. When God says, let there be light, God is not anticipating light, okay? God's not saying, you know, "I I think maybe the sun's coming around the corner here. You know, you know, I've done that before. You ever done that before? You know, like I'll try to impress my kids with something, you know. And, you know, like if I know that like uh, a boom's going to go off or whatever, or thunder, I'll try to be like, you know, know, anticipate. Yeah, that's not what God's doing. Okay. When God says, let there be light, the very word of God produces light. That's why when Jesus comes to, to the tomb of Lazarus and says, Lazarus, come out. His very word brings life into Lazarus. Okay. Jesus did not go up to the tomb and listen. I think, I, think, I think something's stirring in there, you know? I think, I think I think maybe Lazarus is alive. Lazarus, come out, come out, come out. That's not what he did, okay? Lazarus is dead. He is, he is four days stinking, decaying, dead in the grave. And Jesus speaks the word and life comes into Lazarus, all right? So God can't be wrong. Whatever God says he's going to do, whatever, if God says it in his word... It produces the action, okay? So when God says, I will help you, he will help me. When God says, I'll forgive you your sins, forgiveness will. I mean, whatever God speaks, okay, whatever his word, he cannot be wrong. Man, I can be wrong about everything. If I say these chairs are two feet off the ground and they're brown, and Carolyn, who's sitting in them, looks a little sad today, okay? So let me, let me say those three things. First of all, that may not be two feet. I have no idea. You know, I mean, I'm guessing, but uh, it could be a foot and a half, could be two and a half, could be three. You know, with my judgment, it could be four. I don't know. You know, those chairs may not be brown. I mean, I, I think they are, but I, I, I pulled a pair of pants out the other day. I was getting ready to pack for the revival. I said, honey, you think this would go with this shirt? I said, I, I think I want to I I wear the gray pair. And she's like, yeah, that goes together nice, but it's not gray. You know, and she says, it's brown. And I was like, oh, whatever, you know. That's like it to me, you know. So, uh, Carolyn may not be sad. She may be—I I don't know. She may be, you know, hungry. I, I don't. Know. You know, I can be wrong about. Uh, you see what I'm saying? I can be wrong about everything. God cannot be wrong. Okay. Whatever God thinks, whatever He says, is a reality. Okay. And and, and, and God never overcommits. He He never promises something that's beyond His ability. Okay. So so God cannot be wrong. All right. But not only cannot God can't be wrong, but just to encourage us. Okay? Just to give you the full assurance of hope, just to, to build up your confidence in Him. You know what He does? He swears an oath. Genesis 22 is when this happens. Okay? We read it here in Hebrews 6, but Genesis 22 is when it actually happened. In verse 16, God is talking to Abraham, and He says, By myself I have sworn declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that's in the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. By the way, that promise hits you, okay? It's it's going to Abraham through his descendants all the way to Jesus And then to everybody who's in Jesus, okay? To all who are sons of Abraham by faith. That's what Galatians tells us. But you notice what God does? God swears an oath to himself, by himself. You ever been called for jury duty? I hope they still do this. I don't even know if they do. Maybe they don't. You know, you you put your hand on, on, on the Bible. And you say, I swear to the whole truth. Nothing but the truth. So help me God. Why, why don't you just say, yeah, I'll tell the truth. You know, why, why do you do that? Well, this is like an extra. Okay, what you're saying is I'm putting my hand on, on, on the most precious book in the planet, on the book of truth before God Almighty, his word. And, I, and I'm saying if I'm lying, may, 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 may the word of God not be true. May the wrath of God come down on me. Unfortunately, it probably doesn't mean to most people, most people what it ought to mean. You know, but you know what I mean by swearing on something, right? Probably when you're a kid, you'd say something like, you know, I swear on my little, my, my grandma's grave, you know, I'll bring you a Twinkie tomorrow if you'll give me your Twinkie today, you know. And, and you picture grandma because she's the most special person in all the world and you love her more than anything and her grave is a sacred place and you'd never dishonor her. And so that's why you say, I'm going to swear on that, all right? So God's looking for, what What does God swear on, you know, Bible, grandmas, what, what does he Man, he picks himself. You know why? Because there's nothing more valuable. There's nothing more more honoring and glorifying in the world than his own glory. And so he says, I'm telling you, church, I swear on myself that I will do this. You can trust the word of God. All right, it's halftime. Beep. I just want to talk about something else for a second. So just hold that thought, all right? A um, little personal testimony. I came forward in a church service, I believe. I don't really remember it. Uh, but I believe I was eight years old. And I made a profession of faith. And I was baptized with my dad. Uh, my dad was gloriously saved at 28 years of age. And uh, has never been the same. Uh, he's been changed man. He's a man of God. Uh, I made some kind of profession of faith at eight. There was zero fruit. Um, there was not a progression in the faith. There was not a uh, fruitfulness. There was not a love for God or a love for people or a love for obedience. And when I was 18 years of age, uh, in the middle of the night, God just changed me, rocked my entire world. Uh, for the very first time, I repented of my sins, and, and I, I began to follow him radically in every area of obedience that, that I, I felt led. Um a few years after that, as I was trying to unpack my salvation, I began to have doubts about my salvation. And and my doubts occurred to like, well, when was I really saved? And what was that when I was eight? And you know, did did I mean it then? But but if I if I didn't mean it then, well did I know that I didn't mean it when I was eighteen, did I know that I didn't mean it when I was eight? And did I clarify that? And did I say the right words? I'd gotten some bad teaching, really. And the bad teaching was basically, you know, you got to say it this way, and you got to, you got to mean it this way, and you got to do it this way, and, and so, I, I mean, I went through about a year of struggling, and, and, most some of the most intense struggle I've ever had in my life. I mean, when you, when, I, when, I thought about, you know, man, this is heaven or hell for me, uh, man, I was deeply troubling. I, I would not sleep, which for me is, is like a once in a lifetime experience, you know. I could sleep now. You guys give me five minutes. I, I, not, not even five minutes. Thirty seconds right now, I could go sleep. Um, It's troubling. Um, I talked to my good friend, Darren Patrick. I was going to school with Darren. Darren pastors the Journey Church now. Uh, We're going to use one of his books for uh, Man Up this year. Um, I talked to Darren Patrick. Darren gave me some great counsel. He told me basically what Hebrews 6 starts out saying. He said, you need to look at your life, Jason. Look and see if you have the marks of, of, of Christ in you. You know, do you love God? Do you love your brother? You know, are you serving? Are you bearing fruit? Are you increasing in holiness? And I was like, yes, 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 yes. All those things are yes. And so that, that gave me kind of a bolstered level of confidence, you know, and kind of, but still there was this nagging thing in me that, you know, but did I, did I, did I really do it right? Did I really say it right? And what, what if I'm just serving because I'm trying to be a good person? What if, you know, what if I don't really mean it? And just, I, man, I just would torment myself. And finally this breakthrough came through where this, this guy, his name was Mark and he just was like, you know, well, are you trusting Jesus? I was like, yes. You know, and he's like, well, well you're saved, you know. And, and, and all of a sudden, it just hit me. Okay, here's what hit me. What hit me is my my assurance, my hope, my trust, my salvation. It comes from this. Me believing the word of Jesus, okay. That's what it comes to. That, and friends, I have never, I have not since that date in in the last however many decades of years that has been, never once doubted my salvation. Because every time a doubt will creep up, I just go right back to to, to Jesus' word. And I said, Jesus, you said, you said, come unto me. All you labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Jesus, I'm coming. Lord Jesus, you said, if we confess our sins, I'm, I'm confessing. Jesus, you said, if we believe, I believe. And I believe your word. And man, I just threw myself completely on the word of Jesus. I'm no longer looking at me, asking myself, did you mean it? Did you really, really mean it? Did you really, 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 really mean it? You know? No. Now I'm looking at Jesus and saying, you meant it, and I trust it. I've never doubted since. That was for free. That was just a little halftime encouragement. All right. Back Back to this, okay? Notice where our anchor is lodged, okay? This is really cool. Notice where the anchor is lodged. Verse 19, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place beyond the the curtain. Man, the anchor is lodged, you know, in in the holy of holies. All right? Beyond the curtain. That's where it's lodged. All right? And so we have have this great reason for hope. That's, That's what he's telling us. Now, how do we respond to that? Let's have some application here, okay? So, verse 12. So, He wants us to have this full assurance of hope. And so verse 12 says, So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Okay? So we talked about the promises of God. Okay? There they are. Now, how do we respond to that? Well, we become an imitator of Abraham. the guy he's going to give us here. We become an imitator of Abraham by by, by faith and by patience. Okay? Faith and patience. Okay? Now, we're going to talk about Abraham in a second. But I want to fast forward through those things. What what is faith? Faith is believing the word of God, okay? Faith is trusting. It is depending upon God's word. You hear the word of God, you hear what God says, and you say, God, I believe that with all my heart, and I respond to it accordingly, okay? I believe it with my my mind, my heart, and my will. I believe. That's what faith is, okay? Now, this next word is even more interesting to me because of this Sermon on Hope, okay? The next word says, through faith and patience. Now, I want to read you two definitions of patience, okay? This is right out of Greek dictionaries about this word, this Greek word. Number one, a state of remaining tranquil while awaiting an outcome. Okay, did you hear that? State of remaining tranquil while, while awaiting an outcome. The second one is this. A state of emotional quietness in the face of unfavorable circumstances. Okay? So, so basically what patience is, patience is a demonstration of faith, okay? But it's rooted in hope. And what it is, is you don't fall apart because the promise isn't here yet. Okay? You, 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 don't, you don't give up because the truck hasn't arrived yet. Okay? You know it's coming. All right, that's how we keep our hope strong, is through faith and through patience. You see, sometimes success is simply holding your ground. That's why Ephesians 6 tells us over and over again, stand firm, okay? Verse 18 says, flee for refuge. All right, and so so by faith and patience, we inherit the promises. Now, let's look at our example, because you're still like, I didn't get that. Okay, that's okay, because we're going to look at Abraham, okay? Abraham is the example of this, that he's telling us to imitate. Okay, so verse 13, when God made a promise to Abraham, saying... Since he had no one greater to whom to, to, to swear, he swore by himself, that's what we just talked about, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. Okay, so here's Abraham. He's living in Ur. Uh, he's, he's, he's farming, got, got uh, sheep and herds and flocks and doing well, country where he grew up. And God speaks to him. OK, so God's word comes to Abraham and it tells Abraham a promise. It says, Abraham. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to multiply you. You're going to have children. You're, you're going to through you all the nations there. earth are going to be blessed. All right. So it gives Abraham a promise. How does Abraham respond? He responds in faith. OK, that's the beauty of Abraham. That's why he's the man. That's why he's the father of faith. OK. Galatians tells us Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. All right. So Abraham says, God, I believe you're going to do that. I believe you're going to bless me. I believe you're going to give me a child. I believe you're going to give me sons. I believe you're going to give me grandchildren. I believe you're going to bless the whole world through me. I mean, it's an incredible, outstanding promise, but God, I believe that you will do what you said. So Abraham packs up his things, and he begins to follow God. Why? Because if you believe, you're going to follow, right? I mean, that's what it means. That's what it means to trust him. You're going to follow. So he packs up his things, and he takes off. Okay, and and he follows God throughout his whole life, trusting the word of God, believing the word of God, all the way up to the pinnacle. Okay, the Super Bowl of Abraham's life is Genesis 22. Okay, and that's when he has Isaac. Finally, he's got a son. He's got a boy. He's got. He's got. You know, God's fulfilled His promise, and then God says, "All right, Abraham, now I want you to take him on top of the mountain, and I want you to give him back to me. I want you to sacrifice him to me." And Abraham trusts God. Okay? He trusts that God will somehow, some way, in some miraculous resurrection manner, somehow God will pull this out. And so he obeys because he trusts God completely. Okay, Abraham was a man of faith. All right, So read verse 12 again. So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith... That's just what we talked about. So what do you got to do there? You got to trust God's word. You got to trust him. All right, but now... Here's the part that that, that produces hope, okay? Through faith and patience, inherit the promises. All right, so what is this patience? This patience is this emotional stability while you're waiting for the promises to arrive, right? If you don't have hope, remember, if if you're not sure the truck is coming... If you don't have confidence that that God is is around the corner, he's going to bless you. Around the corner, he's going to take care of you. Around the corner, it's coming. He's going to give you what you need. Okay, if you don't have confidence in God that way, you're going to fall apart emotionally. You're going to be angry. You're going to be bitter. You're going to be resentful. You're going to want to quit. You're going to want to give up. Okay, so what does Abraham do? He not only believes God, but he also, look at verse 15. And thus Abraham having patiently, everybody see that? patiently waited, obtained the promise. Can you imagine? He's 75 years old. God appears to him. He says, Abraham, you're going to have a son. He's 75 years in one month. What does he say to Sarah? Honey, you feel anything? You feel different? You feel sick? 75 years in two months. What does he say? Sarah, I think you gained a little weight. You think? Maybe? Maybe? Huh? You know? 80 years, Sarah's sick of him, okay? Because, you know, no baby yet, right? 85, 90. They're really old now, right? Way past childbearing age. 95, 99. That's pretty, you know, not a lot of babies born at that age, okay? Abraham waits patiently. Listen, listen to Romans 4. Romans four eighteen In hope, this is Abraham, in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God. In hope versus hope. Isn't that awesome? How good are you at waiting? See, that's, I think that's, we're a little deficient there, don't you? I mean, I I think, I think we, the faith thing, we're like, okay, God said it, I, I believe it. Okay, but man, whenever, whenever the storm comes and whenever things aren't happening and whenever things start unraveling and whenever they seem like they're not going the right direction and things are not good, that's when we're tempted to to give up, to peel off, to lose our emotional stability, okay? And so, so the Scripture's telling us God's plan for you is to have the full assurance of hope, okay? God's plan for you is, is to be convinced, man, the promises are on their way. God's truth, God's work is on its way. And so so I'm gonna stay emotionally secure. I'm gonna stay stable. That's the way I think of it. I'm not gonna fall apart. I'm gonna stay in a posture of of waiting for God to do what he said he would do. Why? Because God cannot do anything but do what he said he would do. And if he said it, it's coming. And I'm gonna live in hope. I want you to have hope. I wanna have hope. Let's ask God. Lord, I pray that you would help us, God, to to learn to wait uh, patiently. God, to learn to stay in a posture of faith, to stay in a posture of anticipating, of watching, of eagerly expecting, of, of joyfully anticipating your work and your word and your promises and the fulfillment of all that you said you would do. And God, I just pray that you would help us not to be doubters. God, help us not to be fall-aparters. God, help us, help us to learn to, to stay in a posture of hope. Thank you, God, that we have full certainty today that you're going to do everything you said you would do. All the good things, God, are, are going to be done and accomplished in us. And we give you praise for that in Jesus' name.